0: Right now, let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 16 through 25. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25. If salvation were by works of righteousness, you could never be saved. First of all, you could never perfectly keep God's law in your behavior. Second of all, even if you could somehow perfectly keep God's law in your behavior, you could not keep it in your heart and in your mind. You may not kill someone or commit physical adultery, for example, but you certainly get angry with people and you certainly have lusts. And so Jesus dealt with the religious leaders of his day. In fact, he told the people that their righteousness needed to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And those guys were pretty darn righteous when it came right down to it. I mean, they they were keeping the law and doing some crazy law-keeping. I mean, we <clears throat> we have an arrow garden. It's a hydroponic garden. I love it. It's just fun. It's an Italian herb hydroponic garden, and we're growing all kinds of sweet basil, uh, you know, and, and, um, uh, and then I have to dry the basil, which is really... I do it in the microwave, but you have to be careful. I mean, you could let it hang for three or four years, but we want to use it, and so you know, do it in the microwave. You can only do it a few seconds at a time, otherwise it burns. And so, but you finally get this, and then you crush it and crumble it. Uh, And as I was doing that, every time I do that, I think about where Jesus talked about how the religious leaders they would tithe of their herbs. Uh, their mint and their cumin, he said, you know, and so, so I, I mean, I'm so uh, there's other reasons why I'm glad I'm a Christian, but I'm so glad I'm not a Jew, a righteous Jew and thinking, OK, now that I've got my basil, you know, finally, uh, if I thought it took a long time to to dry it and crush it. Now I've got to count it. I've got to count all of it. And that could be tough because as you're counting it, you might make two out of one. You might crush it further, and then you have to start all over again so that you can get your 10% of your tithe going. And so the Lord said, hey, these guys are righteous in the sense of keeping an outward standard of righteousness, but they're like whitewashed tombs because inside they're full of dead man's bones. No matter what you do outwardly, you can't deal with the problem of the heart. And uh, before you were ever even conceived or born, because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, God imputed sin to the entire human race. You're guilty uh, by association before you're even born. You commit individual acts of sin. You inherit a sin nature. Sin is imputed to you. Uh, It's a pretty crushing burden. The bottom line is you can't work your way to heaven. So how do you get there? Verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace... So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, God has determined to give eternal life as a free, undeserved gift to ungodly sinners who receive it by a simple act of faith. Since eternal life is God's promise, you can be sure of it. It doesn't depend upon you at all. You can be sure you are saved because of the authority of God's word. If you had to do anything to earn or achieve salvation, you could never be sure that you had done enough. And this is the condition of all the religious uh, people in the world. They're never quite sure uh, if they've done enough. Uh, and so God says, no, it's, by, it's my promise. I'm going to give it... on." Un- to those who don't deserve it as a free gift. And so, therefore, I can be sure that I have it when I get saved because it was all God's promise to me and God cannot lie. This sure promise of God, we're told, is available to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Now, those who are of the law in context, I believe, would be Jews, the nation of Israel... National Israel who were given God's law no matter that they had the law They still were saved by believing the promise of God by grace through faith This is what we've been talking about uh, For the last few weeks in Romans and we'll see it again tonight This promise of eternal life It's available to anyone who like Abraham Simply believes God he's therefore the father of us all He is, of course, the physical father of the Hebrews, but he is also the spiritual father of all Jew and Gentile, all who believe in the promise of God by grace through faith. Now, Paul expands on this spiritual fatherhood of Abraham in verse 17. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is a quote from Genesis 17, where he says, I have made you a father of many nations. Uh, This is a quote, uh, this is something God said to Abraham in Genesis 17. Built into the Old Testament was God's declaration that Abraham was father of many nations, not just the Jews. Now, the Jews would interpret this, if they interpreted it at all, to mean that, if you wanted to be, you know, that Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, if you wanted to know God, you could prosely- you could uh, convert and become a Jew. But as we'll see, God had a totally different understanding when he made this promise. He says, Abraham, you're the father of many nations, and by that he's going to mean all those Jew and Gentile who would believe. God's plan to save men was never confined to the physical descendants of Abraham. It was for all men Everywhere. <clears throat> what did Abraham believe? Well, he believed God, it says, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Uh, here's what that means, beginning in verse 18. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now, God's promise to Abraham uh, was that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens or as the grains of sand on the earth, takes on kind of a different meaning now that we've seen this creation clip, right? Uh, I mean, this is the scope of God's promise to Abraham. Uh, He said, Abraham, check out the stars, uh, and even with the naked eye, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars of the heavens. This promise was contrary to hope because Abraham and Sarah would be physically incapable of, of having even one child by the time God would fulfill it. Still, Abraham believed God's promise. And so God made Abraham this promise and he renewed this promise at a time when it was physically impossible for it to to manifest itself. There was no way that Abraham and Sarah could have children. Abraham, however, totally believed it. Verse 19, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. When God first promised Abraham he'd be the father of an innumerable people, he was 75 years old and Sarah was 65. They were still physically capable of having children at that point as witnessed by the fact that Abraham uh, had Ishmael through Hagar at that time. It was a mistake. It wasn't God's plan. But... Uh, Abraham was still capable of having children. But here in verse 19, Paul is talking about Abraham at age 100 and Sarah at age 90. Abraham considered his own body to be already dead insofar as any possibility of fathering a son. It was, he knew that it was impossible for him at age 100 to be the father of a son. And he said here that Sarah's womb was dead. And so God would have to bring life from the dead in order to achieve His promise. Humanly speaking, the situation therefore was hopeless. Nevertheless, Abraham believed God's promise that he would be the father of an innumerable number of descendants. Uh, Verse 20, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. William MacDonald commenting on this verse wrote, As far as Abraham was concerned, there was only one impossibility and that was for God to lie. And so Abraham uh, heard from God and he said the only thing impossible here is that God cannot lie. And so if God is telling me I'm going to be the father of many nations, uh, regardless that my body is dead and Sarah's womb is dead, That's exactly what's going to happen. And the hopelessness of his condition actually encouraged his faith. Have you ever been in a situation that, hey, this is it, it's hopeless? Sometimes it's actually, I don't want to wish this on myself or on on any of you, uh, but it just happens sometimes that you find yourself in a hopeless situation. And there's, there's a certain release in that. There's a certain, I don't know what the proper word is right now, but there's almost a goodness to it because you think, then God is going to have to just be God. There's nothing I can do. There's, there's no effort. There's no energy. There's no direction. There's, there's absolutely nothing I can do in this situation except trust God, except believe God. Uh, and and uh, those are usually very difficult situations, very dark situations, uh, but they are wonderful in, the, in that aspect, that God reveals himself as God in them. And so, Abraham, having no idea how God would fulfill his promise, was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21 says, "...being fully convinced uh, that what he had promised, he was also able to perform." Abraham, as I said, had no idea how God would do this. He was simply convinced that whatever God had promised, he both could and would perform." Um, We didn't really plan this video tonight, but it's cool the way that it it piggybacks on this because, uh, I mean, we can do the same thing. Abraham's just out looking at the stars and, and, and God says, I did that. This is what I'm going to do for you. And Abraham looked up and he said, wow, if you're powerful enough to create the stars that I can see, then I guess you can do anything that you're telling me that you're going to do for me. And now we have the Hubble telescope and we have, you know, all these calculations and I can turn my iPhone sideways and have a scientific cal- calculator and <clears throat> figure out how many stars there are, hundred billion billion stars or whatever that guy said, numbers that I can't even comprehend. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, on a very simplistic level, God makes us a promise and we think, okay, God... Who made these heavens so vast, so amazing, so uh, unbelievable in one sense? I guess he can keep his promise to me, whatever that might be. Uh, and so Abraham absolutely was convinced by creation and for, uh, by God's word that, okay, yeah, it's on. I'm going to be the father of many nations. I always, always thought it would be funny to be Abraham in the sense that, you know, he traveled a lot. Wandering around, he's going different places, and uh, his name's Abraham. God renamed him Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And so, can you imagine? Here's the typical conversation. Hey, I'm Gene. What's your name? I'm Abraham. Oh, you're the father of many nations. How many kids do you have? None. A few years later, after he's 100 years old, hey, how many kids do you have? One. You might think about legally changing your name. How about you go back to Abram? You know, he was Abram before he was Abraham. How about, you know, why don't we be a little bit realistic about this? But I think Abram, I'm Father Abraham. He probably wrote the original Father Abraham. I'm Father Abraham. I'm going to have many sons. In fact, let's go outside right now. I want to show you something. I'm going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. I mean, this is comical. You'd wonder what this guy had been smoking, you know. But he believed God. He took God at his word. Now, does it take great immense faith to take God at his word? Cuz this is what I start thinking. I think, man, Abraham must have been really like he was the first, you know, health and wealth guy. I mean, he must have just had tremendous faith, more faith than than anybody that ever had. But the truth is, it doesn't take a, a tremendous faith because after all, he's God. He cannot lie and he's all powerful. If he promises he's going to do something, it's a sure thing He's going to do it. And so, it isn't even a matter of great faith. It's just an assent. It's just a believing that since He's God, His Word is true. And, and God has the credentials to back it up in creation. He says, hey, I'm, this is what I'm going to do, and if you ever doubt it, I just want you to see what I've already done. David would come along later. They quoted the psalm in the in the little video. What is man that thou art mindful of you, or the son of man that thou has visited him and and you know David's out there looking at that same expansive sky sometime later and realizing that you know him, not only the earth but him on the earth out in the field with his sheep he is as insignificant as you could possibly get probably if you look at it that way when, when you take a, the point of view of all those you know Beetlejuice and the bigger suns and the universe and all that. And you keep going down, 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 down to a focus and you focus on this tiny point of a person, a young boy who's tending sheep out in the wilderness. But David had it right. He he understood in that psalm that God was mindful of him. That all of that existed so that God could reveal himself to David and have David in his mind and on his heart. Uh, and so Abr- that's That's what David believed. This is what Abraham believed. Verse 22, And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted, you'll remember, is a bookkeeper's term. It means to put something over into your ledger. When Abraham believed God, when he took God at his word, God put righteousness, as it were, into Abraham's heavenly ledger. It was not by Abraham's works of righteousness, for he had none, and he could accomplish none. It was all a gift given to Abraham based solely on the fact that he believed God's promise. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Having discussed the particulars of Abraham's belief, Paul again reminded his readers that Abraham's story is not just about him or even about his physical descendants. No, he is the father of all who believe God the way Abraham did. We all become part of God's spiritual family by believing God And Abraham is the key example of that. And so that's why we see him as the father of the faithful. And so verse 24, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Just as God imputed righteousness to Abraham when he believed, he imputes righteousness to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Abraham believed God would give life through him when it was Hopeless and impossible. We see the strength of his belief when some years later, God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. He was about to do it when God stopped him. Later we read of Abraham that he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. But at any rate, God would certainly keep his promise to Abraham. You you think... Now Abraham, we're... You know, we're you look at the life of Abraham, he had some massive kind of, you know, backward failures. But by the time you get to Genesis 22 and God says, everything I've ever said to you is wrapped up in my promises to, in this boy. Uh, he's the son. And he hasn't had any offspring yet. Uh, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take him to a mountain that I'm going to show you and I want you to sacrifice him to me and give him to me. And Abraham goes for it. He gets up, he saddles up, he takes his servants, they've got the wood, they've got the knife, they're ready to go. And in the book of Hebrews, you find out that he's thinking, well, God promised me all this and God cannot lie. And so therefore, I guess, after I kill Isaac, God will raise him from the dead. There no other alternative as far as Abraham was concerned. Then the story, you know how the story goes on. Um... Isaac asks his dad, he says, Hey, uh, Dad, because he knew his dad was kind of a crazy Jesus freak, you know, and he says, Hey, Dad, uh, here's the wood, and we got everything we need for the sacrifice except the sacrifice. And so Abraham says, and it's really beautiful in the King James Bible, he says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. I wonder, how much did Abraham know? Did he know that he was giving a prophecy that one day... Down the centuries, God would provide Himself, Jesus Christ as God, the sacrifice for the sins of the world on that same spot where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And so, you know, people, critics, skeptics, they come to the Bible and say, oh, look at this crazy stuff, the human sacrifice and all. But there's a backstory. There's a big story going on there. Because what God kept Abraham from doing he would do himself, and that is sacrifice his own son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins. He would not withhold his son from us. All that was pictured in Abraham, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, All we can say for sure is that Abraham believed the promise of God to give life to many through his son, Isaac, and that if Isaac were sacrificed, God God would have to resurrect him to accomplish it. We believe God gave life to the dead by raising Jesus from the grave. We believe in an accomplished fact of history. I don't want to make a comparison because in a sense we, we believe the same thing that Abraham believed. But from one point of view, I think it might be easier to believe the accomplished fact of history that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose from the dead than to believe that God was going to raise your son from the dead after you killed him. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, uh, still, the, the crux of it is God is going to bring life from the dead. And that's, that's essentially what we believe. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 25, He was delivered up, Jesus, because of our offenses, and He was raised because of our justification. The ancient Greek word translated delivered I can't pronounce it. Why don't I try anyway? Paradidomy. um, Hey, pretty good. Was used of casting people into prison or delivering them to justice. Here it speaks of the judicial act of God the Father delivering Jesus to the justice that required the payment of penalty for human sin. I don't need to go over this again. We saw it earlier in Romans. God cannot just overlook sin and remain God. Somebody has to pay the penalty for it, and that penalty is death. It says here Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. This has two shades of meaning. One is that Jesus was delivered up, crucified because of our offenses. Someone needed to take our place as substitute because, as the word delivered indicates, sin requires a death. And secondly, Jesus was delivered up in order to put our offenses away from us. And so he had to be crucified to satisfy uh, the justice of God, uh, and in doing that, our offenses were put away. Uh, there, God holds nothing against us who believe in Him. It says He was raised because of our justification. That means that by His resurrection of Jesus, God has declared that He is satisfied. Sin is atoned for, and He can therefore declare believing sinners justified. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead tells us the price has been paid, the work is finished, and men can be saved by believing in God's promise. By the way, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is an absolutely essential Christian doctrine. There is no justification if Jesus is not risen from the dead in a physical body. And So, uh, we don't have a problem with this, but uh, many... Uh, modern or we would say liberal churches, uh, to them it doesn't matter if Jesus actually rose from the dead or not. They talk about the, these kind of weird spiritual allegories and stuff. But uh, it's, it's extremely important as far as an essential doctrine that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Abraham is the illustration of what God desires to do for everyone. He stands ready and able to impute heaven's perfect righteousness over into your account if you simply believe Him. You must believe God's testimony that Jesus died for your offenses and that He rose from the dead for the purpose of saving you. One commentator, William Newell, says this as well. He says, God is eager to impute righteousness. I like that. In all this doctrinal uh, talk, never lose sight of the heart of God. His whole plan involving judicial satisfaction was born out of love. It wasn't just that God said, I have to be satisfied uh, you know, judicially because I'm God. Uh, he created man for fellowship with Him. He loves the human race and uh, anticipated our sin and came up with a plan born out of His heart to love us and have fellowship with us so that He could satisfy Himself, His justice, and have fellowship with us Uh, in time and for eternity. Amen? Alright, praise the Lord.